We're going to be looking at tiny seeds and large bushes, ignorant farmers, and birds of every kind, all to help us catch this glimpse of the kingdom of God, which is said to be present among us, but not yet complete. So let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read, as your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Amen. So at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he said this. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. These are like the first words. And so the arriving kingdom of God was at the very center of Jesus' proclamation. It's really important to him. And so in Jesus, God's kingdom, the scripture says, is breaking into the present. And so how do we talk about or how do we describe the kingdom of God? Like the help is, when I looked at this, I'm like, this is a nearly impossible task. It's very difficult. Um, But to help us with that, we're going to take a look at an idiom that hopefully all of us are familiar with. Birds of a feather flock together. All right? Anyone? What does it mean? What does that idiom mean? Birds of a feather flock together. This is an easy one. Somebody. Yeah. You hang out with Perfect. Okay? So yeah, very good. I think that's it. So here's the history of that word. This, I love doing this. I, almost, I do apologize for this. <laughs> I don't almost apologize. I do apologize. It may be worth it, though. You'll be the judge. Um, Plato in the Republic is said to have kind of been the first person to use sort of a version of this, 380 B.C., And he wrote this. He said, men of my age flock together. We are birds of a feather. That's like the first version of it. Um, Then in 1545, William Turner, this guy who was like part naturalist, part preacher and reformer, uh, he actually wrote the first book entirely devoted to birds. Like, if you learn one thing, there it is. Um, He writes this book devoted to birds, and he writes, birds of a kind and color flock and fly always together. All right? And then in 1599... We get the closest thing in the dictionary in 1599. It started saying, birds of a feather will flock together. So now we're super close to the way we know it. And so my question is, I started thinking about this stuff. Does this um, saying ring true with us humans? And it certainly does, right? Like birds, we gather together with kind of like-minded people. But here's going to be the challenge for today that's really unique. When we look at God's flock, should we see only one type of bird? When we look at God's flock, should we see birds of a feather? Okay? That's what we're going to look at today. And I started thinking, like, we divide so easily. <laughs> um, we do flock with people that we consider to be our kind, whatever that is, people of our feathers. And so listen for the answer as you hear these two short parables from Jesus on the kingdom of God and see if you get a clue um, as to where we're going with this thing. From Mark 4, 26 to 34. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the grain uh, in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, 
and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's like, I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, man, it would have been nice if Jesus just left like a blueprint or a constitution or at least a nice color glossy travel brochure um, that like showed us and told us what the kingdom of God is and how to best journey through it. Um, Jesus didn't do that. Um, while we crave straightforward descriptions of the kingdom of God, this is what we get. Parables that are messy and earthy and hard to understand and surprising. This is what Jesus gives us instead of probably what all of us would rather have. And so parables rarely simply explain things in this straightforward manner, right? They're more like, when I think about it, I'm like, they're more like works of art that confront you and demand some sort of response. And so uh, with parables, this is the way they usually work, right? There's this really simple and obvious meaning, but there's usually almost always this hidden and surprising meaning that's buried within them as well. And so the excitement for me lies in trying to unearth the hidden and surprising meaning in the parables. And so that's why you say, you know, Jesus at the end says he has to take his disciples and explain everything to them in private. Like, they didn't get it either, so we're not the only ones, right? And so I think it's exciting. So Jesus' first years, they struggled with them as well. Um, Jesus had to explain this stuff multiple times so that, uh, because people weren't getting it either. And so Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of God is like the process of growth. Someone scatters some seed on the ground, and then they wait. Back in April, I put some pole bean seeds in the ground in my garden. Uh, the seed packets, when you read the back, it says, oh yeah, they're going to sprout in seven to ten days, starting on day one. Just like this farmer in the parable, I'm out there every single morning with my cup of coffee. I know darn well they're not sprouting on day one, but am I going to look? Absolutely yes. <laughs> I went out there every single day, just like the farmer in the parable, hoping, anticipating to see the day when these things sprout. So I know well enough there's absolutely nothing I can do to make them sprout, and I'm just as clueless as the farmer in this parable. I do not understand how seeds grow, right? Growing anything from seed, if you've ever done this, it requires patience and some faith, all right? But not all people in Jesus' day actually had the patience to wait for God's kingdom. And so we see two types of, well, we're going to see three, but we see two types of people that just decided they couldn't wait for the kingdom of God to come. The first is uh, like uh, Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, um, probably was a part, uh, part of this, you know, kind of almost a political party, really. They're called the Zealots. And so they were done patiently waiting for God to make things right. They decided to take matters into their own hands by violent revolution to try to make the kingdom of God come now. There was a whole other group that were totally different. Pharisees were used to seeing Jesus interact with these guys. They thought the kingdom could be birthed into existence by scrupulous observance to the law, by following the rules. They had to be the most boring people in the world. You see Jesus confronting these guys all the time. But Jesus says that seeds just sprout and grow automatically. Right? He says that there's something of the power of regeneration that's contained within the seed itself. 
And there's no other human activity involved except for watching and waiting. And so the simple and the obvious meaning of this first parable is that we don't do anything to bring the kingdom of God, right? Other than to watch and to wait for it. That's the simple part. And so we can't make it happen by force or by careful planning. We can't do it by following the rules. And to that I say, thank God, because that's too boring. God brings about this orderly process of growth. Look what the parable says, right? It's this slow growth. It says first the stalk, then the head, then the grain. That God initiates the harvest. Our job is apparently to wait in faith and to trust that the seed will eventually lead to harvest. So God doesn't, with some like magical snap of the divine fingers, make the kingdom happen and come in fullness. This is so cool. Instead of doing that, God plants seeds. Instead of just making it happen, God plants seeds. And so the hidden, or perhaps more dangerous meaning here, right, is for that, you kind of go to the sickle. We heard that term, which is a tool, like a, you know, a tool for the harvest, Um, It's also a little hint uh, at the end times, right? And so Jesus is quoting from one of the prophets, Joel, an image of the completed kingdom and its time of reckoning and judgment. This is what the sickle meant to people when they were hearing it. So this coming day was actually looked forward to by Jesus' contemporaries. It's the day that God was finally going to make everything right, gather up the people of God, and of course destroy Israel's enemies. This is what people expected the kingdom of God to look like. And so Jesus is saying something maybe a little bit different. Yeah, judgment is indeed coming as they thought, but the surprise is going to be that the kingdom isn't going to look like what they expect, that God won't be vindicating Israel and just condemning everybody else. And it's the end of the next parable that's actually going to help us to understand that point a little bit better. And so the parable of the mustard seed, the second one, is supposed to be two things. It's supposed to be hyperbole, and it's supposed to be funny, all right? The hyperbole we we get. The deliberate exaggeration to make a point is that the mustard seed, it's neither the smallest of the seeds, nor is it the largest of the shrubs. Far from it, all right? Um, And it's supposed to be funny, so Jesus' original hearers would have laughed. I didn't hear anybody in here laugh at that part when we read the scripture, um, because, hey, Jesus isn't all that funny. You know what I mean? Sorry. I got myself in trouble. Um, but here's the truth. There's some medicinal qualities used in food flavoring with mustard and in preserving food. But in Jesus' day, you want to know what it was known for? It's a garden weed. That's what the mustard seed plant was. A garden weed. And so most people, when I was reading this, most people say that no one sowed the mustard seed intentionally. This wasn't a plant that was, like, desirable in your garden, all right? Um, It was a plant that just took over all on its own. So, like, this is how I define a weed. I don't know how people define a weed, but I define a weed as a plant, any plant, growing in the location I don't want it. To me, that's a weed, all right? So 15 years ago, we bought a house in Newbury Park. We had this nice big lot, 10,000 square feet. That lot was one giant weed, okay? (laughs) And it was mostly due to this one plant. Anyone ever heard of it? St. Catherine's Lace. It's this native buckwheat. It took me five years to eradicate this one plant in my yard. Like, that's, that's how difficult this was. Uh, because it's so invasive. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that the kingdom of God is like an invasive weed. You ever heard anyone say that before? That's what I think he's saying. That it's subtly and slowly taking over. 
And so the simple and the obvious point of this parable is that the kingdom of God has these small and humble beginnings, but it's not finished growing. It's still a work in progress. And so this kingdom that God gives arises from obscurity. It's so easily overlooked, and yet what appears to be the almost just non-existent will eventually encompass the whole world. And so most kingdoms, as we know, expand by might. This one expands like an invasive garden weed. What about the hidden and surprising meaning? That we get a clue from the birds that make their nest in its branches. By far the most exciting thing in this scripture is this stuff right here. And you've got to dig deep to find it, right? With birds and nests, we catch another glimpse of the end times, like the sickle in the first one. And so the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, they often use this image of birds nesting in branches to speak of this, the cosmic scale of what God was up to. And so what we do is we tend to put limits on God. We restrict God. We put God in a box. The prophets were expansive. And so while some are so certain of who God is going to save and who God isn't going to save, right? The prophets remind us of Jesus' point in this parable, that the kingdom of God will not look exactly like we think it will look like. It will not look like what we expect it to look like. It's going to include some birds that we may be surprised to see. Here's the prophet Ezekiel. Listen to these words. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. Hmm. Jesus has to be referencing this passage right here. And so I gotta be honest, like as a lover of almost all animals, there's one bird I really dislike, the crow. Anyone else? Gosh, thank you. I'm so glad I'm not alone. They chase away all the nice birds. They're bullies. Like, they steal the food by intimidation. They use other bird terrorist tactics. You ever watch these things? It's appalling. It sounds to me like Ezekiel is saying that even crows can be members of God's flock. This is hard for me. <laughs> now, the evening, this is, this is true. The evening before I started looking at this parable, I arrived home really late on a Sunday night. I preached for a friend in Pasadena. And when I went to bed, there was a bird singing really late, okay? And I was... I could not believe it. The most beautiful song I've ever heard from a bird. And so I fell asleep to that song. When I woke up way too early the next morning, the same bird was still singing this song. And I couldn't believe it. Like, I wondered to myself, like, was this bird singing all night long? And so what do I do? 5 a.m., I wake her up before her alarm clock which is normally a really bad idea. It, on this occasion, it was still a really bad idea. And I was so excited. I'm like, you've got to listen to this bird. I've never heard anything like this before in my life. In 10 seconds, she tried. I don't know if you, if you ever heard the bird. Um, and you were back asleep again. Um, and then now I'm in trouble. Um, Later that afternoon, this is no joke, like, I'm not allowed to stand up here and lie to you, right? Later that afternoon, I started writing about birds for this message. And who flies into the backyard, sits on my fence right next to my office door? This bird. And now I see it. First time I've seen it. 
And he's still singing that incredible song. I'm like, for a second there, I'm like, is this going to be an Alfred Hitchcock moment? Or am I, am I in trouble? Uh, but the bird's song, by far the most beautiful thing I've ever listened to. Now, that bird was in my backyard. It's not the same bird. There's a couple of them. I don't know. This morning, when I woke up, that same bird, in my, well, it's almost a month has gone by now. I've been listening to this thing every single day. There it is in the backyard singing. Ezekiel says, birds of every kind. And Jesus seems to agree with Ezekiel, but what do these birds represent? This is the key. If you don't understand this, you don't understand Jesus' parable. Birds of every kind represent, in Ezekiel in the Old Testament, God's inclusion of the Gentiles, non-Jews. Okay? Super important. Into the flock. Revolutionary stuff, trust me. The kingdom of God is for birds of every kind. And so if the people listening to Jesus' parable, if they actually laughed at the mustard seed part, which, man, I doubt it. Uh, But if they did, when Jesus got to this part, they were not laughing. I can promise you they weren't laughing when they heard this. This would have been so shocking and surprising, right? Maybe they were even angry when they heard Jesus say this. This beautiful song was being sung to them, and probably what they heard is the squawk of a crow instead of what Jesus intended. If they weren't angry, they would have at least been left scratching their heads, wondering what the heck just happened. Like, Jesus' disciples, too, must have been wondering, did Jesus really just say that? Like, did he really just say that the mustard seed, the mustard plant, is really an image of God's grace to all people? And that's exactly what he said. And that's exactly what he meant. And so this is, in Mark, this is actually one of the prominent themes of Mark's gospel. Mark was actually probably written for for a non-Jewish audience. An audience typically thought of as outside the flock. You have to keep that in mind. And so the early disciples that would have been reading this gospel that Mark wrote would have read this parable, and they would have known that the kingdom of God included even them. Right? That outsiders we're becoming insiders. And maybe even that we're trying to say that maybe even Jesus wants to just even eliminate the word outsider altogether. Probably true. And so the circle is widening. This is what they would have heard, that this invasive kingdom could not be stopped, that birds of every kind were to be protected within the mustard bushes, vast and expansive branches. And so big things often start small. So I did a little research. I was thinking about great things that start small. And I read an article, six companies that started in a garage. You ready? Number one, Apple. First computer was built in a small garage in Cupertino, California. That house is now a historic landmark. Number two, Hewlett Packard. Right down the street from the Apple garage, uh, 10 miles away, Hewlett-Packard was started with an investment grant of $538. Think think on that. Today, the garage is known as the birthplace of Silicon Valley. Three, Amazon. Jeff Bezos quit his job, moves to Seattle, and sold his first book out of his garage in Bellevue, Washington. Here's number four, five, and six, Google, Disney, and Mattel. Not a bad list of things that started in garages and are pretty big today. And so I was just thinking the parable made me think about starting light shining. Not because we started in the garage or because I believe that we're going to become larger than Amazon. (laughs) It is summer right now. I know a lot of people are on vacation, but you get get the point. Um, But here's how we began. 
we began as a tiny seed, an idea that a friend of mine had, Nick Warnett, some of you have met Nick, didn't come from me, that Nick sowed a seed, that God, it took a long, long time, but God grew that seed despite the fact that I did very little about it for quite some time. I did almost nothing. And yet the seed sprouted anyway, certainly not into the largest of shrubs, <laughs> uh, but an important one, a shrub that shelters birds of every kind. That is why we started this church. And so if you look around this room, we have people of many kinds, right? A far cry from birds of one feather. True? That's good. And that means that we've taken God's wide embrace seriously, which is very exciting to me. It's one of my favorite things about being a part of this community. And so I think we understand that God wants to make outsiders into insiders, that God probably wants to eliminate that word altogether. Uh, We're here because we believe God's Spirit is on the move today, actively working to reach out to people that don't feel like they have a branch to shelter on. This is why we start. And so when the world around us, think about this, is largely cutting branches off of the tree, we see this happening all over the place. We're really good at cutting branches off the tree. But we're a branch that actually emerges that wants to shelter birds of every kind, even crows. So the kingdom of God starts out like a tiny seed, but we see it like in these two short parables. It's this revealing, this disclosure that happens. When a seed sprouts up, we can see it. It's no longer hidden. And so the Holy Spirit is making the kingdom of God visible to us today. So my question is, where do you see see God at work today? When you look around, where do you see God at work today? This is the work of the Holy Spirit, pulling back the curtain, revealing just a little bit more of this present kingdom that's not yet completed. And so I want to leave you with a final thought. Jesus said, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Important. How we hear and respond to Jesus' parables is is really important. These parables are opportunities for us to learn, uh, and those of us with ears to hear Jesus' words are given further insight. And so hopefully someday we'll eventually, Jesus will explain everything like he did with his disciples privately, but for now we just get this, we get a little bit at a time, almost like the sprouting of a seed. First the stalk, then the head, then the grain. Then the largest of all shrubs where birds of every kind make their nests. So may you have ears to hear Jesus. May Jesus continue to reveal the kingdom present in him, but not yet complete, so that all people may be welcomed into God's flock. Let's pray. God, your grace is astounding. Your embrace is wider than our imaginations. Expand our thinking, God, so that we can comprehend better what you are up to in this world and join with you as co-laborers in mission. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.